Hello and welcome back. Hey, this is Charles. You are listening in to the Bringing It All Back Home podcast. Coming to you today from good old South Jersey. I've got some things I want to investigate, I want to delve into, love to hear your feedback on. This episode is all going to be about why are you still using a digital full frame? More specifically, a mirrorless. And in my case, why am I selling my Nikon Z5? So yeah, bit of backstory, of course, as always, there's probably going to be a few major tangents. I'm going to start with the backstory. I'm going to get into why I still like to use digital. I'm going to throw it out there, you know, obviously some different scenarios for other people. But just to set it straight, I've become, not by any grand design, but I've become a film guy. I've become a... Wow, you sure have a lot of cameras, dude. Never realized I was going to end up here. <laughs> Didn't plan on getting here. I'm not adhering to some philosophy. This is just how it all happened. So, yeah, that's the theme of this week. Uh, digital cameras, mirrorless cameras, the, uh, the usefulness of still having one or two around, and in my case, why I'm letting one go. So, yeah, going to take a big gulp of tea and kick this off. So to start on a perhaps an easier backstory, I'm sure a lot of you guys out there, a lot of you folks out there, went through a transition period sometime during the last three or four years. So maybe just before the pandemic, or maybe in your case a little bit earlier, where there was quite a lot of interest in this upcoming mirrorless full-frame stuff. Back then, it was all about Sony, and along for the ride came Canon and Nikon. So, to hit on some of those points, which I will be repeating quite a lot, because I tend to be a repetitive guy. Number one, autofocus eye tracking. How cool is that? Not quite a feature you're going to see on your good old D600 Nikon, you know, or, or in my case, if I had finally jumped uh, up to a higher spec, you know, the D850. Yeah, mirrorless cameras tend to equal eye tracking. And eye tracking is just one of those nifty little features that you can read about. You can watch all the YouTube videos you want about, but you're not really going to see how thrilling it is until you get your hands on it and try it out during a shoot. So that's the first one. The next one, which relates to film photography quite a lot and relates to vintage cameras and more specifically vintage lenses, hearkening back to the Classic Lenses podcast, Number two is the ability to use in-body stabilization. What a freaking concept. You know, so the idea would be, hey, yeah, you, uh, you want to adapt 
a lens to your camera and maybe you want to shoot in low light and maybe you don't want to go crazy on the ISO. You want to keep the ISO uh, still as clean as possible. Well, hey, guess what? You know, these newer cameras, these mirrorless cameras are going to give you quite a few extra stops. And this has been borne out. This is a, this is a reality. You, you, you can handheld at absurd shutter speeds. Shutter speeds that you would have been laughed at back in the film days, let alone even the DSLR days. So the idea of like, hey, look at me. I got a decent clean shot at 130 is no longer cool. 115, eh, that's okay. Now we're talking like getting insanely good shots at one eighth of a second. Clean, stable, in focus, sharp. So yeah, you're suddenly adding magic to uh, to all kinds of lenses, including of course vintage lenses, which of which includes of course the idea like practically any vintage lens can be adapted to a mirrorless camera. So you could be just hijacking all kinds of interesting old cameras, you know, like the old Fujikas with the wacky, what was that? There's a Fujika 55 with some really funky bokeh, you know, that uh, has that kind of swirly effect. You could be adapting all kinds of M42 mount stuff from, uh, from, from the USSR, you know. Um, you could, of course, be adapting vintage higher end glass if you so happen to have that kind of stuff whether it's old Voigtlander or even more precious the uh, the classic Leica uh, you can throw in your old Minolta's get all crazy about that stuff and of course if you're into making movies or making really cool YouTube videos uh, go straight for that Zeiss stuff you know the, the, the phenomenal uh, Zeiss lenses back from the what was it the CY mount so yeah, just like all these things are opening up if you simply go uh, mirrorless. So that was uh, number two, in-body stabilization and all the cool lenses you can adapt using that stabilization. Another one, just getting back into manual focus, uh, being able to, you got hints of this back in the old days with the film cameras. You know, you could have uh, kind of a focus confirmation, but you gotta love if you, uh, I truly, truly enjoy the focus peaking you know, where everything in focus turns a certain color and uh, ripples across your your uh, your screen. So, yeah, focus peaking. Nail that manual focus. Um, so, yeah, just to recap, eye tracking, in-body stabilization, able to mount uh, manual uh, vintage lenses, focus peaking. Also, too, one of the things I really enjoy was, uh, which just sounds really minor, but just being able to see live, uh, through the through the finder or through the uh, the rear uh, screen, uh, being able to see live things like the leveler, making sure you truly are holding your camera steady, straight, horizontal. You're not tilting it too much forward or backward. And the histogram, being able to see a live histogram as you shoot. And lastly, uh, whether it's Canon, whether it's uh, Sony, of course, and whether it's particularly in my case Nikon, you're looking into improved versions of the lenses, of all the classic lenses. So that's the big wrap-up. Why go into mirrorless uh, full-frame? That's a lot of stuff. That's a big uh, incentive to go big, go to town, get your first mirrorless uh, full-frame, and essentially say goodbye to all those old DSLRs. So that's the invite. That's the, like, ooh, this looks, uh, 
this looks cooler, you know, over there. Let's uh, let's round up all the gear and sell it. And and I have said on this podcast a couple of different times, you know, that's what I was about to do. Um, the first winter, I this all came together in my head, and then I just kind of held off. I just wasn't ready to pull uh, all those resources, nor was I quite ready to. Um, to appreciate really the pricing, you know, Every, everything just wasn't quite there. So the first time I thought of it, it was, it was just, it was, it was the holiday season, of course, you know, it was all these uh, things tempting me. And I think back then it was the idea that uh, the, um, the A7R2, you know, which uh, the high, high megapixel Sony at that time was starting to come down in price. You know, it was, it was going back down to mere mortals, it was no longer like $3,500. It was getting below 2000 brand new. And and yeah, that's what I think what, what kind of really intrigued me. Didn't pull the, uh, the, the trigger, as they say, uh, waited the following year, and then kind of had this debate, well, there's I could go into the Sony, which I had rented, it was interesting, but I wasn't sure if I was going to like the file size. I was a little bit intimidated by how big these files were. But meanwhile, Nikon had come out with a Z5. Uh, with, of course, the adapter to, to use existing glass. So that's what I ended up doing. I ended up selling all my old DSLRs, all my old DSLR lenses, and went all the way into mirrorless with the Nikon Z5. Now, even though this uh, this episode is going to be about why I'm selling the Z5, I don't want to in any way steer uh, the Z5's reputation um, the wrong way. It is still, to this day, most likely the best bang for the buck, the best value and performance uh, of any uh, of any full frame, of any entry level full frame. I don't believe you get as much with the Canon. In fact, I'm pretty sure you do not, because I believe the Canon competitor does not have in body stabilization. It's missing that feature. Big miss there. Uh, and really, um, through software updates, uh, they have, especially one that just came out, I believe less than a month ago. Uh, they have been continually improving the uh, the auto um, the advanced uh, eye tracking with autofocus, so that it's coming closer to what you would uh, you would get in a brand new, more expensive Nikon full frame. So the the lineup with Nikon at this moment, you know, February uh, 26, 2023, uh, the lineup right now consists of uh, two top of the line full frames, one high resolution, the Z7 II. One all-rounder, um, less resolution, but better um, better low light, and I believe uh, more advanced video features, the, uh, the Z6 II, and the good old uh, Z5, which really hasn't changed except for these software updates. Now, I'm mentioning the date because there's rumors that they'll finally be um, coming up with a competitor to, to Sony. Uh, they're supposed to be a... Uh, essentially a mirrorless version of the D850, which used to be uh, Nikon's highest resolution DSLR, you know, a, a landscape killer and uh, uh, a, a great camera for, for certain portrait shoots as well. If that's your style, having high resolution uh, portrait shots without going into medium format. So that's, just, that's where we are right now, you know, so the Z5 is a great camera. When I got into it, uh, I went with a, a brand new wide 20 millimeter 1.8, which I took on at least two different uh, Milky Way shots. 
Uh, I also, of course, ended up getting pulled into what at that time was their only mirrorless 85 millimeter, uh, which was the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Nikkor Z 85 1.8S. That's finally been updated now um, in the last week or two with a uh, quite expensive 1.2 version. And keep in mind the 1.2, so I will come back to that as well. So that's where we are right now. You know, Nikon Z5, you could basically throw a, uh, a kit zoom on it uh, like I have. I have a 24-70 f4, which you can get off of eBay for 400 or so, maybe a little bit less. Uh, terrific camera suite as all heck at, say, 24, 28, and 35. So those typical three wide angle uh where you would normally get a prime for each one of those. Um, you could just simply stick this zoom on there because it's got its own image stabilization. It's an absolute killer at those three uh, uh, three perspectives, you know, uh, 24, 28, 35. I've never been that impressed with it at 50 or 70. It's just, at that point, you're like, well, get a prime. You know, like, like, like dude, I don't think it's really going to stand out. But its huge advantage is it's extremely light. It's a light, light lens, you know. So essentially you're getting three lenses in one, and it's lightweight, takes filters, no problem. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's one of the lenses that, uh, that I'm going to be sorry to give up. So that's basically where I am. I am giving this up. Um, and here's how it all began. <laughs> here's how I ended up where I was. So I did my Milky Way shots with the 20, 21.8. And then I'm like, well, then what about, what about, you know, landscape? Uh, what about the Wildwood Motels? And I'm like, 20 is just a little too wide. It's just too wide. It's just not really, you know, like it's, it's interesting. It's, it's almost, it's too wide or, or it's not as crazy wide enough, you know, um, so yeah, like if I was to, I don't know, stumble on an amazing sunset or an amazing series of clouds over the pier, maybe the 20 would work. I would probably still crop it a little bit, but yeah, it, not an inspiring lens to move around with because you're stuck at that one perspective. You're only got, you've only got the viewpoint of a 20 um, the 1.8 doesn't mean much to me except for uh, Milky Way stuff. And that's where it did get good reviews. So so the, the, the lens does not have any horrible coma. It doesn't have any horrible chrom chromatic aberration. It doesn't severely vignette. So, yeah, it's a workable lens for doing la uh, doing night sky stuff, doing Milky Way stuff. It's a very, very workable lens. Uh, is it expensive? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty expensive. You know, it's, a, it's at least a grand. It's still over $1,000 brand new. I sold it, you know, I, I basically like, um, what was it, about a year and a half went by or just over a year. And I'm like, yeah, so how often have I, have I used this lens? Like twice, <laughs> maybe three times. <laughs> this is absurd. So I got rid of that. I'm like, okay, no big deal. Um, so it, it led me to rent two different lenses. Uh, and I had a very successful Milky Way, um, uh, you know, scenario last, last spring, you know. So coming up on the anniversary of that, I, I rented out the Z. Uh, more expensive zoom, so I rented out the essentially the two thousand dollar version of their wide angle zoom, um, and that was fun. That was neat. Wouldn't buy it; it's way too expensive. But I tried it. Um, also uh, rented out 
uh, for multiple uses, uh, a really nice size um, with the uh, F mount, um, which I adapted using my Nikon F to Z adapter. So now I'm down to two lenses. I still have the 24 to 70 all rounder. Got the 85 prime. Um, took the 85 prime with me to at least two shoots last year. You know, all big, two big ones. Um, working with uh, with Jennifer, uh, the model who who has been uh, very very gracious with her time and and helped me out on at least two or three uh, or four shoots now. Um, we did a, a kind of a winter snowy shoot uh, out in the woods. And then we did the classic, uh, you know, the, uh, the the good old uh, railroad shoot, you know, out out in the summer. Um, and it was the '85 on that last shoot that finally started swaying my opinion. Um, I love the eye focus. The auto uh, autofocus uh, eye tracking was phenomenal. Um, I was raving about it for days. Uh, that was the shoot where I really, really. Uh, drove it all home because I only shot at the widest, you know, the widest aperture. I, I shot at 1.8 the entire shoot, and I barely missed focus, barely missed a soft shot. I think I think they all came out. I'm like, wow, you know, this is damn cool. But here was the big problem, and this is where I hope to not go off on an incredibly long tangent, but this is where it all kind of starts to tip over. During the last, um, during the two train shoots, uh, two different summers, I shot with Jennifer out at, uh, uh, out at um, Tuckahoe. And um, the first one uh, was almost, well, no, was exclusively film. So the first one was like t uh, 35 millimeter here and 35 millimeter there. And I did uh, wide, you know, sorry, uh, medium format stuff here and medium format stuff there and 645 there. It was, it was nothing but, 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 uh, but just film. It was just like, Hey, let's just jump in and do nothing but a film shoot. And there's at least three, if not four shots from that, that, that session. that are just some of my all time faves. Like they're just wonderful to look at. Like the, the portrait just came out sweet as all hell. And the Kodak Triax just is, you know, Freaking Kodak Triax, uh, and I was using, um, um, you know, I was using, I guess, the RC67, which I had finally uh, hauled back into my life, um, and it came out great. You know, it, it, I, I kind of wish I had shot more of this. My biggest complaint, I think, was looking back. I'm like, I wish I had just kept going with the RZ because uh, there were a couple of shots where the composition wasn't so hot. Uh, still getting used to it again, shooting six seven, looking down at the waist level. But one thing I never complained about was just how perfect um, the tones were on the Triax. Just how perfect the skin tones and the colors, of course, were with the Portra. Um, why did I mention that? Because when I finally brought back a year later the shots that I took at 1.8, using my mirrorless, using that advanced eye tracking, bringing them all in. I was just so unimpressed with the look of the tones, the look of the image, the the here's your raw file with Nikon, um, with this beautiful camera, the 24 megapixel, the latest and greatest, you know, uh, autofocus, eye tracking, everything's in short. And meanwhile, I'm like, I'm turning it to black and white. It's like, oh, it's okay. I'm trying to play around with filter, with, uh, you know, with, with presets and Lightroom to make it look like film. Like, that does not look okay. 
I, I'm still it's the rare occasion that that works for me. And it's kind of stuck in my head a little bit that that uh, you know, working with digital is not with with portraits. It's not exactly bringing back fond memories. So to 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 here's where I want to go off on a little bit of a tangent. You know, in 2023, I'm at the point where I would absolutely, without reflection, without any kind of delay, I would absolutely prefer to shoot Tri-X and Kodak Portra as much as possible on a photo shoot than I would to shoot anything digital. Unless maybe, you know, somebody hands me a camera that just can magically come up with the tones uh, and look of, of Tri-X and, and Portra. Uh, and maybe that moment will come, but but for now, you know, I find uh, I find sh- I find working on portraits uh, in digital, the 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 post production workflow to be somewhat of a killjoy, you know. And I guess that's the best expression. Like like, oh my God, her eyes are so sharp. Look at that. You can you can see every little every little part of her iris. But then you go, you you zoom back out of two or three hundred percent. You come back to the whole picture, and you're like, okay, there's clinical sharpness here that I've got to now somehow deal with. Anything, anything even remotely resembling a spot, a pimple, um, a hair that is uh, a little bit out of place, it just comes up so strong. <laughs> it's as if you know you're looking at someone's skin tones under a magnifying glass uh in bad light um so yeah a lot of lot of reasons why i'm not not a huge fan of working with uh with a portrait shoot once it's done and doing the post-production thing i am not someone who enjoys spending anything more than 15 minutes on a portrait picture um with one or two exceptions uh just to fix it you know just to get it to look natural to get it to look uh like you're not being distracted by the not so great skin tones and then not so great um you know imperfections on the skin all the all of which is hidden in film you know it's really rare that you're going to go back to your portrait or triax shoots and go gosh that skin doesn't look right no they always looks great looks fantastic all right i'm going to beat that to death but that's basically where it all started going a little bit sour on me i'm like okay so then what's left what what is the reason for keeping the full frame the reason for me to keep going would be landscape, you know. Uh, why not? I mean, that's that 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 at one point in my fun photography uh, passion, that was just so obvious as the number one thing I loved doing. Um, I would love chasing the weather, really, you know, like finding the weather, finding the clouds, finding the storms, finding just after the storms, and matching it with something on the Jersey Shore, something related to the Pine Barrens, something related to something, you know, like rugged, maybe, you know, like some of those unusual places off of uh, the bay side of uh, Cape May, you know, where you get a little bit of unusual shoreline not just the typical stuff um but yeah it's all about the weather all about the weather chasing clouds chasing clouds chasing clouds and like okay well, i've got the 24 to 70 so there's my three lenses in a way there's my 24 28 35 very 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 happy with a couple of the shots i used with that lens mostly in the fall i have proof 
the fall of 2021 um, was uh, was where I was getting uh, some very nice sunrise stuff uh, at the uh, the landing, as it were, near Bass River, followed by uh, my typical you know uh, journey into parts of the Pine Barrens, uh, where I look for mist and look for leaves and foliage and and end up at this old mill or of course end up at the the mansion uh known as Batstow you know good stuff pretty good stuff uh definitely have a, a couple of shots from that that were was pretty good but the idea of keeping the Z5 just to use the 24 to 70 uh just wasn't like inspiring me so I kind of went off on this uh idea of what about 1.2 what about 1.2? Like, what if, <laughs> what if I either allot myself, you know, several times a year, the budget to keep renting a 1.2, or what if I sell off, you know, the uh, the 24 to 70, um, which is very little money. Uh, that's only a couple hundred, uh, and and maybe use a tax return, and maybe just somehow convince myself that. I should be the proud owner of a 1.2, you know, which on the Nikon side is this big beast of a lens um, that I rented and loved. Uh, and it's, it is enormous. It is way heavy compared to the Z5. It doesn't quite balance correctly, um, but an incredible lens. It's, it's a lens where you, you can shoot at 1.2 for landscape and capture details, 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 you know, the leaf, um, the, the, the little uh, insignia of, of the 19th century building, uh, the, 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 the part of the wooden cross beams on the fence of some sort, uh, splitting off in this beautiful bouquet behind it. Anyhow, I was super impressed with the 50 1.2. Uh, it seemed like a wild dream, though, to be investing in a $2,000 lens now, you know? Um, the most I've ever spent on a lens was around the grand for that 20 millimeter, which I was quite happy to sell and, and, uh, you know, it didn't seem to support that expense since I didn't use it as so much, you know, it wasn't at all, uh, it wasn't an everyday shooter. Got really into the one, two. So here I am like the one, two, one, two, I'm going to work asking people, I know you guys shoot Sony's. Have you ever shot the Sony one, two? Never, never even rented it. Uh, I'm looking around at the reviews. Well, now everybody's got a one, two. So in the last six months, everyone's got a 1.2. Canon has caught up with a 1.2 lens. Uh, Sony, of course, has a 1.2 lens. Nikon has introduced their second 1.2 lens, you know, the 85. So basically, uh, a mirrorless lens that can open up to 1.2 using a state-of-the-art camera that has incredible autofocus eye tracking. Um, let alone what you can do, and really in my case, what, you what alone you can do in landscape. Because uh, to be totally honest, I'm not super fond of a portrait with one, two. Uh, like the idea that only one section of their face is in focus. Um, no, I'm not really thinking portraits here. I'm thinking just the incredible um, details you can get with landscape. And then the beauty of, say, the 50, that when you do shoot it at its, um, you know, uh, its more relaxed field of... Uh, uh, depth of field, you know, when you're shooting it at 5.6, when you're shooting it at 7, when you're shooting it at f8, um, you're getting incredible edge-to-edge -edge resolution, sharpness, all that good stuff. Um, 
they're so well designed. Like th- th- this is the golden age. You know, the, 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 this year's 1.2, or let's say the 2020s version of a 1.2 glass is outdoing, outperforming, out uh, amazing. You know anything that came before it. So all those decades worth of people that raved about 1.2 lenses, whether it was a Nikon 1.2 or a particular Leica 1.2 or all these manual focus uh, 1.2s going way back to the 50s. Yeah, they, they were amazing lenses for character, you know, but they weren't amazing lenses for just all out kick assness. And that's what we got right now. Like right now we're in this golden age of like, yeah, you've got a camera that can shoot insane ISOs, but you don't even need to. And it'll autofocus at like the sliver of its depth of field. It'll pull out that focus perfectly um, without even having to concentrate too hard on, on using manual. So yeah, the 1.2 suddenly, as I, as I look through these reviews, it, there was a really good comparison of the Canon, Nikon, and um, Sony. Uh, and the Canon, the latest Canon uh, 1.2 got a really good review, but it Suddenly, I'm getting back into Sony now because I'm, it's showing me like, well, the Sony is the lightest one. The Sony is actually the least expensive one. Unlike, un, instead of spending twenty three hundred or twenty four hundred, twenty two hundred, the Sony is only nineteen ninety nine. It's actually a better weight, better, uh, um, and it's just as just as good, if not the best version of the three. So suddenly, up comes Sony. So it's Sunday morning. I'm doing this podcast here Sunday afternoon. Uh, I've hopefully given you a backstory of where I am. Again, just to recap, got into the mirrorless full frame because every part of that upgrade seems so cool. But somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was, two, I'll, I'll guess, say 2016 and on, um, my love of film, my love of medium format, my uh, love of especially lately, uh, of, of the classics, you know, Triax and Portra. Um, and my, my, you know, from one side of me, my appreciation of a great film portrait, uh, coupled with my kind of real loathing of dealing with digital files, has, has completely thrown it out, everything out of whack. So it's kind of like the, and, and I'm not even mentioning speed lights and strobes and umbrellas and soft boxes and portable batteries and all of that. Um, I might need to include that for just a second here. So that was also an accommodating uh, feature of why I wanted to shoot digital going all the way back. Um, so just to recap real quick, you know, I learned how to use a digital camera. I learned how to, uh, how to do a little bit of post-processing. And I jumped right into how do I work with speed lights? Big Joe McNally thing, which I mentioned on a previous podcast. Speed lights, speed lights, speed lights, speed lights. And that eventually led to the soft, uh, you know, the soft lighter, the Andy Leibowitz thing. And then eventually it led to, well, just get some strobes. So I got a good deal on a strobe, a, two, a pair of strobes, uh, strobes with a, uh, an octobox, strobes and octobox and a porter battery, strobes, a C-stand, an octobox and a portable battery. And next thing you know, I'm on the beach with like Emma, uh, a really lovely model, a couple of years ago at a, at a wonderful sunset. And she's, we're both at the water's edge. I've got the C-stand going on. I got the soft box. I got the light. And and, it, and these, these pictures would be impossible without the lighting. So I was going all the way. I was leaning all the way into the lighting. Like, you know, you take that shot and, and you look at the back of the camera. It's like, 
yeah, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Keep going. Keep going. Take it again. Move the move the camera around. Move the model around. You're moving. They're moving. the The waves are coming in, and 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 the and the light stands starting to shake. You know, fun stuff. And with that, yeah, it was okay. It wasn't that bad trying to work with the digital files because it was something so original. You know, I hadn't done that before. Um, working with hardly any light, but some beautiful sunset in the background, etc. So that was like 2017, I believe, maybe 2018. And then as we got into 2019, 2021, and the pandemic and all that stuff, I was doing less and less photo shoots. And when I did do a photo shoot, the last thing I wanted to do, um, with one exception, when I was shooting for a, a band, a friend of mine, um, with the band Dear Darkhead, uh, I really didn't want to use strobes, didn't want to use speed lights, could care less, you know, like, so, so I think that's, that's also in combination. Um, less inclined, less inclined, less inclined to even use speed lights or strobes, though I still respect it, still love the idea of it, still love the, the magic of it. Just just didn't grab me. So so here I am, I'm like, I don't really need to use strobes. I don't really want to use strobes. I don't want to use speed lights. I got no need for it right now. Well, why am I shooting full frame digital again? Could could someone remind me of this one more time? Because obviously for portraits, it, 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 it now hardly makes sense at all. So I guess, well, hopefully I tied that in there. Essentially, if you're going to use strobes, if you're going to use speed lights, well, it's a joy to at least do it with a digital camera. You know, using strobes and speed lights uh, on a film camera uh, takes a little bit of, of experience doing that exact same thing. Uh, so, so it's a little harder to experiment with film uh, when you don't have that instant feedback as to whether or not the lighting in this position is working, um, whether or not the speed light's firing even correctly, you know, uh, all those things that digital really makes easy. So, so where am I? So then let's go back to that last scenario. Well, don't you want to pick up uh, a full frame mirrorless and use it with the Milky Way? Don't you want to use it going back out to the Pine Barrens? Don't you want to use it next fall uh, to do some lovely stuff with the foliage? Uh, don't you want to always have a decent full frame around just in case uh, that storm is moving in and as it moves out, the light's turning magical and you're getting just these gorgeous landscape shots by the shore. Isn't that me? Aren't I that photo guy who loves that stuff? And that was the real big search, soul searching, <laughs> I think, this weekend. Well, to be honest, I don't really know if I have the answer to that question yet. I really don't. All I know is that the Z5 combo the Z5, still a wonderful camera, combined with that 24 uh, to 70 zoom. But even if it was a 24 prime, it's just not doing it for me. You know, like it's just not doing it for me. So cut to the chase. Um, I am ha I have it for sale. I'm putting the Z5 up on eBay. Um, putting the uh, 24 to 70 up on eBay. Putting the Nikon um, lens adapter up on eBay. I'm kind of hoping that in the next two or three weeks, somebody just pulls the trigger and uh, and, ga and grabs it. I'm not doing any auction. They're just buy it now. They're ready to go. They're all boxed up. And in the meantime, guess where I've been looking? I've been looking at Sony's. I've been looking at Sony's. And, and, and it's a weird way to be looking at Sony's. Like there's a part of me that thinks I'm going to pull the trigger and get a five-year-old Sony A7 IV, sorry, A7R3. So there's, there's literally three different high-resolution Sonys out there right now. There's the five-year-old one. Um, I'll just use the term R for uh, right now. So there's the, the A7R from five years ago, the third version. 
there's the A7R4, <laughs> and the latest and greatest, the A7R5. Uh, the 5 is completely out of the price range. It's it's like $3,500. The 4, I believe, is around $2,200. And on the Ebays right now, the 3, again, that's a 5-year-old camera, the 3 is going anywhere from twelve to $1,400. And 1200 is what I paid for my Z5. So, so, so yeah, there's part of me that's like, well, just... Get rid of the Z5. Try to get 800 or so for it. Uh, try to get a, a couple hundred for that lens, and start over again with the Sony, and just see if maybe that high resolution could be the determining factor. And lastly, I'm going to wrap up on one of the things that also sold me on the Sony. So two photographers uh, I follow, uh, one on 500 Pix and one on uh, Flickr, um, just blew me away with these two photos. So one's a landscape picture of the snow uh, and this beautiful uh, tree in, the, in, a, in a, just a, the, the aftermath of this, this huge snowstorm. And one is shot uh, on the road out to, out to Summers Point on the Longport uh, Road um, just a couple summers ago um, with a longer lens, you know, 200 to 500 um, of, a, um, of a skimmer. You know, and and the shots are unreal. I'm going to put them in the cover uh, for this uh, podcast. But the the one of the skimmer um, is insanely in focus, and it was basically with a uh, high resolution 200, 200 to 500 uh, mirrorless uh, Sony FE that retails new for around eighteen hundred, and I believe it you can get it on eBay for around eleven. Um, and that sounds crazy expensive, but the Nikon alternative, the 200 to 500 Nikon, which is still only out for, I believe, uh, the F mount, um, was even more expensive. And um, and this thing's unreal. Like this thing, you can tell it just blows it away. Uh, and the other one was a was an A7R2 camera uh, with a particular Zeiss lens, a manual focus Zeiss lens at 24. So I'm gonna put both, both those pictures up. They're both uh, both like sort of tempting me. Like, well, what if? one camera could serve as my surfing slash wildlife and my landscape, you know? Uh, and then I could basically sell off my other my other Nikon because I still have a crop sensor Nikon. I still have the 7200 with the 1980s 300-millimeter lens, um, which has served me really well for surfing. I think with, with wildlife, not so much unless... Um, I've got wildlife that's really not moving around very much. Uh, when it comes to wildlife that's truly moving around, um, it's extremely difficult. Uh, whereas with surfing, I just kind of, uh, you know, I just spray and pray. I put it in JPEG. It's got a uh, relatively fast burst rate. And I've, I've developed a certain technique where I'm, I'm just moving with the surfer. You know, I'm just like firing, 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 uh, and hoping that I'm getting a hit. And usually I do. Usually I do get a pretty good hit. But uh but yeah, tactically speaking, if I um, but before I get into the whole surfing and 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 that two hundred five hundred, if I just got the Sony full frame, forty two megapixel, um, upgraded version, you know. So again, a couple of years ago, I was looking at the seven R two, seven R three has better battery, better autofocus, um, better stabilization, and a better uh, better EV, you know, better screen, um. 
so that's pretty good. You know, like that's 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 a that's a pretty good uh, advantage. Oh, and and yeah, and, and really, uh, it's got incredible image quality. You know, it's not, not to say that it's so much better than the A7R2, but uh, it was top of its class when it came out uh, for image quality. So that's where I am. You know, I'm, I'm like sort of in this weird phase where I'm like absolutely uninspired by my full frame. I'm not only ready to get rid of it, it is for sale. I'm hoping something clicks there. I uh, did get my tax return already done. That's sitting in the bank waiting. And yeah, I, I feel like if I do make the leap into a different brand, if I do jump into Sony for my digital camera, um, if I do go with the high resolution, it might be my last gasp. Like, it, I, like if I can't, you know, like if I can't get the high resolution Sony and possibly a really nice manual focus Zeiss, to uh, to rock my world uh, when it comes to landscape, um, and to be honest, I'm not worried about Mil Milky Way stuff because there's a certain part of me that's like um, diminishing returns with the Milky Way. It, you know, how many times can I keep going to the same beach every February, March, and April uh, and expect different results? You know, um, it's you know, like there's almost a point of me where I'm kind of like I'm I'm interested in doing the Milky like Milky Way shots maybe every other year. Uh, just because at that point I can be deluded enough to thinking, well, maybe this will be the spring where it'll look different. And meanwhile, like, they don't look different. They really don't. It's more like just, okay, well, maybe the weather was better. You know, and that is that that is true. You know, it's all about the weather. There's a certain clarity of the sky that you can't pinpoint. You know, you can't say, oh, well, it's going to always happen because it's I'm shooting at the new moon, you know. So, um, so yeah, that's where I am. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, I guess the theme of this one was like, if you're a film guy, if you're all about film, if you're all about medium format and uh, 35 millimeter, do you still own a full frame? And, and and if you do, for what reason? Are you using it just as a copy stand, uh, a, you know, accompaniment to, to transfer your negatives? Are you actually going out and shooting with it? Do you do it on the side as a professional hustle so you can help support your super expensive film hobby? <laughs> Why do you still have a full frame? Uh, that's the theme of this uh, this this episode. So anyway, guys, thanks if you have tuned in. Thanks again. Um, looking to come back with more stuff soon, and I'd love to get back to the collaboration stuff and maybe do some more interviews, some more live chats. Uh, anyhow, have a good one. Cheers.